0: I'm going to ask Rod to come up here. Rod Miles, come with me. Let's grab these stools. You may, you saw and met Rod. I like that Todd's clapping for him already. That's awesome. Uh, you, you, do you remember meeting, this is Rod Miles uh, from Grace Church in Marin. Give him a little golf applause. That'd be awesome. And uh, is your wife here? Is that your wife you were sitting next to? Gwen. Nice to meet you, Gwen. Second row. Because you were kissing her, I wondered. And, uh, uh, Rod was here a couple of weeks ago, and uh, we, he was just worshiping with us, because he's on sabbatical from his church that meets there in Ross, and, um, and we made him come up and pray for us. Remember that without uh, any prompt to? Uh, I, thanks for doing that. Yeah. And uh, Art and Rod have been friends for a long time, and they've known one another, and he and I had never met each other, and so we met for a burrito one day and got to know each other a little bit, and when he told me his story, and his heart for our county and his church. The Lord spoke to me at the burrito place, which he often does. God speaks in those places. Tacarillo San Jose, 4th Street under the bridge. Go there. Jesus is there. And, um, and no, But he did. I mean, I remember hearing the Lord go, have him come share his story uh, to your people. How cool would that be? So I went right back, and I saw Art that day, and I said, hey, let's get Rod to come someday. And he's like, when? And I'm like, well, what about July 7th or whatever? And then we all got off track with our calendar, and uh, when I saw Rod two weeks ago, um, and it looked like we were going to be able to do it, I said, hey, I, I felt for a while that God wants you to come share your story with us, and um, I begged him, frankly. He's on sabbatical. He wanted to be over there with cotton candy and corn dogs, and, uh, and he said, I'll do that, um, and you know what he's doing? He's here. Uh, I'm going to bring a little bit of the word, and then we're going to hear from him, and I'll wrap it up. But he's here because he's a friend of our church and, um, and loves what God's doing in our county and loves him we're in covenant, and uh, it's an offering of friendship. Um, he really shouldn't be out speaking and preaching on his sabbatical, and, uh, but he's here because he says, I, I, I really feel like we're friends. He, he doesn't get to be friends with us many of us personally because we worship at the same time. And he's leading his folks. And um, so this is an investment in our friendship. I just love that heart, and thanks for doing that. Uh, I want you guys to hear the word. Um, Can we pray just for 15 seconds? Put your hands out like this. This is a symbol of our receptivity, God, that we will come to your word now and believe that it will not return to you void. But because we look into it, you will meet us by your Holy Spirit who has inspired it. So come and speak, Jesus. Come and speak to us. We long for a word from our Father in heaven. We long for, even if it's a rebuke or a correction or a challenge, even if it's a hard word, God, we don't want to go through our journey without hearing from you. But bring the comfort to God. Bring the truth. Bring the encouragement that we need. Bring the courage that we need. And our hands are outstretched as a symbol that you would pour out into us if we would be willing to listen and so speak. For your servants are willing to hear you. If that's your prayer, church, say amen. I want to read this text from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, Matthew uh, five thirteen through 16. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, before people, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. That's the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. My title, you know, we're doing this series on journey, journey to God knows where. My title is, this morning, for these just couple of minutes I'm going to spend with you is, our journey is worldly. worldly. Does that wake you up a little bit, Doug? Second row. Our what? Our journey is worldly. Wait, what? It is a play on words. We've been so worried about being worldly. We don't want to be like the world. We don't want to be, uh, we want to be godly. And so uh, we don't want, we, we've been so worried about becoming worldly that sometimes we stare so far away from the world that we're not so helpful, not so purposeful in the real world. But the truth is, even though we're not of the world, we are in the world. And it's the place that God put us. Have you ever thought about why when we got saved, we weren't just sort of whisked away into heaven? Like we weren't just sort of like, yeah, we got our eternal destiny figured out. And we're in a relationship with God. And you know, there's a couple of guys in the scriptures where that happened to. All of a sudden, he was no more. He was taken up into heaven. That'd be so great. Well, part of that is because this journey that we're on is a worldly journey. And we're here right here right now to have a worldly purpose. We're meant to walk in the journey with God to all the places God takes us in the here and the now, in this world. In fact, when Jesus prayed for his disciples in John 17, he said, my prayer, God, is father, is that you not take them out of the world, but you deliver them from the evil one, from the enemy. I, I don't want you out of the world, uh, Jesus said. I, I'm going to protect you, but I want you in the world. And Jesus went on to say, they're not of the world, even as I am not of the world. That, that's where we have that good caution. That's not my home. My citizenship is in heaven. I'm not of the world. Jesus said, just like I'm not of the world. And Jesus said to the Father, and as you sent me into the world, so I'm sending them into the world to walk their journey. This journey that God leads them on. That's where they do it, out there. Your journey is worldly. It's supposed to be lived out in the world. We're here with a worldly purpose. One day... The journey is going to be not a journey, but a destination. And when the kingdom comes in fullness, we'll be with God fully. And there won't be any world there. There won't be any sin. There won't be any brokenness. There won't be any sorrow. And there won't be any tears. And there won't be any night because God will be the light of the day. I mean, it'll be that's one day that that destination is when the kingdom comes in full. But now, but here we walk in the world. And the text that I read you, it's one of Jesus's longest, in most significant teaching, the Sermon on the Mount, of course, three chapters, he spends time talking about this upside-down way of living. We live differently than the world lives. We live like the kingdom of God exists, like he is our king and he rules in this place. And Jesus is teaching about this and he starts with a beatitude He says this is what the upside-down world looks like. You know, people are blessed when they're poor in spirit and when they're poor and when they mourn and when they're meek. And when they are merciful and when they're pure in heart, I mean, he, he turns the world upside down. He says, this is the kingdom of God. But then he goes on to say, and, and here's the deal, people aren't going to get you when you live like that. They didn't get me. And you're going to be insulted and persecuted and thought crazy sometimes. Just like they did me. Because the world doesn't get it. But nevertheless, and then our text, you go be salt You go be light. This is God's calling on us. You're going to live in an upside down world. You're going to be citizens of heaven. This isn't your home, but you're in it. The journey is worldly and you're going to walk it down there on earth. And they're not going to all get you and some people are going to hate you for it. But go be salt and go be light. Those are the two things that Jesus said. Salt. We know it's flavorful. We know it's good for our heart. But it isn't just flavorful, it's a preserving agent. That's what the, t- the, the, the issue really is. Of course, it flavors, and I know that Jesus knew his hearers would hear that. But primarily, it preserves. He rubbed into the meat, it slows the decay. And it fits Jesus' sermon on the upside down life living with Jesus in this world, on this worldly journey, living with Jesus here on earth, it preserves the truth. It holds back evil in its full force and darkness. It preserves the truth and the light in a truly messed up world, including how do we frame and how do we understand pain? And how do we frame and how do we understand beauty? We frame it in a kingdom sense and we bring that message to this world without the message of Jesus in the world, without that preservation of truth. Man, the world's totally lost. And salt at the time came from marshes, not like drying up of a a salt water uh, pond the way that we do it now. It came from marshes, so it was filled with all kinds of impurities. And and the salt was more soluble than those impurities. And so that salt could be leached away, and the residue, what was left while it looked like it came out of the salt marsh, what could be left was something that was really of little or no use at all. And Jesus said, if the salt loses its saltiness, You're, you're to be salt. But if it all sort of leeches away, then all you have is sort of this empty, dirty, not helpful thing. And you can't make it salty again. It just gets thrown out on the path. And then people just walk on it. It's useless. The point is, our journey is worldly, and we're sent by Jesus to be salty. And we have to ask, are we of use for God, flavoring? and preserving and bringing the truth so that the world can see and understand who he is. They can see and understand how to frame all this. Do we need another mic there, bro? Oh, okay. Jesus said, you be salt. You're the salt of the earth. You preserve it and you flavor it. And he says, you be light. Light in the scripture symbolizes, of course, we know the presence of God, his truth, his purity, be salt, and then he says, go be light. You're the light of the world. Light in Scripture symbolizes the presence of God and his truth and his purity, as opposed to the absence of God and ignorance and sinfulness. He said, you go be light. You you represent that God is present and that his truth is here. The light has come on so that we can see what is, and the City on a Hill reference is easy to understand from a long ways away during the day. The whitewashed walls of limestone, you could see forever. On the top of the hill at night, there are oil lamps lit in the windows. You could see those cities lit up on the top of the hill forever. You could see it all. And similarly, he goes on in verse 15, nobody's going to light a lamp and cover it. You light a lamp and you put it in your house so that everybody there can see. You go be light so everybody can see. And what do they see? They see who God is and what he's about and that's what the scripture says. In, you, in the same way, let your light shine before people so that they may see right living. That's what good deeds means. Right living. Living right. Living in the truth. Living like God's real and that his gospel is true and that Jesus loves us and there were people set free and there were people getting healed. You live that way and the world will go. I got to praise that God. I don't know what's happening, but I'll praise your Father in heaven. That's what the text says. He said, You go be light to the world. You don't hide it. You can't put it under a bowl. We're out there on a worldly journey so everybody can see. And don't miss it, friends. Right living these good deeds, that's not about moralism. That's not about being morally superior, because I got some friends who don't know Jesus, and they're more moral than some of you people. I'm just telling you. I'm just saying. It can't be about that. Right living is about living in a right relationship submitted to a God who loves us, who has sent his Savior, and we've surrendered our lives to him and said, you're my master. I'll follow you all the days of my life. And you come and bring healing, and I'll be grateful and joyful because I'm on this journey. And our world goes, I'll praise that God. I want to see him. And that's what we do. It's compelling and beautiful and true, and it calls out of them praise. They didn't even know what was in them, but God put it in their hearts to worship and praise Him. We walk our journey, friends, in the world, salt flavoring, preserving the truth, and light reflecting the glory and the presence of a Savior so people can be drawn to Him. And that is worthy of daily, constant reflection. Am I salt? How do I live that way? Am I light? How do I reflect his glory? And this is why I wanted Rod to come. Because as he shared his story of getting, coming to the Lord and then his heart for Moran and his heart to see people who don't know Christ come to find Christ, I was reminded again that I'm on this journey in this world. I'm on my journey, this worldly journey, so that my life might be a reflection and people would know the hope of Christ. Uh, welcome, my brothers. He shares his story with us. You can stand or sit, whatever you want to do.
1: Now I love stories. Now can you hear me? Okay, I was saying that I love stories. I love to hear a story. I love to be told a story. I love to watch a story. I love to go to a story. I love to be part of a story. I love to go to the theater. I love to go to the ballet because they have stories. I love to be involved in a story. When I was a kid, um, I... Uh, never went to church, uh, my parents uh, told me that um, that essentially life is a is a meritocracy. you get what you deserve and uh, and that church is for weak people. Uh, they were right of course uh, about that uh, anyway um, and uh, that basically we 're not weak people so we 're not going to church and um, so I was the middle child I was uh, not the youngest who was sort of needy, and I was not the oldest who was sort of had it all together. And I found that if I performed, then I would get recognition. I would get uh, uh, praise. I would get, you know, as I accomplished, I would receive. And so I learned very early in my life that uh, life is about performance. And the more and better you perform, the more stuff that you get. And the more stuff that you get, uh, presumably the happier you become, although it never quite worked out that way. I was fast when I was in grade school. I won the 50-yard dash every year until Mark Christensen beat me in the sixth grade. Funny I'd remember his name, isn't it? And, uh, but my world changed when Mark Christensen beat me because I was the fastest kid at the school. That was really my identity. I, I was somebody because I was the fastest kid at the school. I was also pretty smart. And uh, if you're reasonably smart and you're reasonably athletic, actually, in this country, I grew up in the Midwest, you can have a, a, a very good childhood. You really can. And, um, and so I, I had a, a reasonably good childhood. By middle school, I found out there were better athletes than me. There were also smarter people than me. But I, I learned to kind of be funny, believe it or not. I was a little bit funny, and I had some popularity. And then in high school, uh, there were better athletes than me and smarter people than me. But they didn't apply themselves as well. So I found it really easy to be a standout in high school, and uh, and so I got a lot of accomplished. I did a lot of things, and I accomplished a lot. But you know what was funny is that it never was satisfying. And that's the thing about an idol. An idol. I. Uh, these are. Th- this is something I learned later on, of course, is that an idol is something that you think that you need, or that you, if you have it, it will bring satisfaction to you. And so I made an idol. I made an idol out of the approval of others. I made an idol out of my performance and here's what happened when I found it it never satisfied right and then when I failed it it crushed me oh my gosh it crushed me when I when I would fail that idol and so what I found was when I failed that idol I would move the goalpost so to speak if you ever try to kick a field goal and you're wide to the left it's really easy to make it when you move the goalpost to the left and so I just keep changing the rules or narrowing the focus and then in my own mind I'm really somebody right well, I, uh, I made my way through high school, and like I said, I was a reasonably fun and good high school experience, and I accomplished a lot, and I went into college, and boy, man, I was lost because there were way better athletes and way smarter people than me, and uh, there were guys who were dating way prettier girls than I could, could uh, date. And it was it, it came down on me hard, and I really struggled in college. In college, I uh, dated a girl, and uh, her mother was involved in an adulterous relationship, and she told me that I needed to know the Lord. And in my uh, Chicago way of thinking, I thought if the Lord does for me what He's done for you, I'll do without. Thanks very much. A friend of mine referred to me as his Teflon friend everything rolled off me, that he knew me, he knew really what I was like, but nobody else did. And I I didn't like that friend very well, because I knew that he did know me. I was exposed uh, because he was so close to me, and so I didn't want other people to know me like that. So one of the things that you do when you're in a performance culture, when you're, when you seek the approval of others, is that you don't become known. The less people know you, the better off that you are the more you can hide because you know what it catches up with you and so i had to hide all kinds of stuff in order to be in order to to get the recognition i needed to feed me that really wasn't satisfying me but i didn't know anything different right well that was exhausting my brother went out to dinner with me one time and i'll try to keep this pg but he went out to dinner with me one time and i was belittling the the waitress because she wasn't serving me fast enough or doing it something right and he says you're a real and then he a little expletive and it, the funny thing is i knew my brother was right but i just didn't know what to do about it I I was actually, speaking of what you you just spoke about, I was actually more moral than most of the people that I knew because I knew that morality was also a performance game. And I used to, I I, I never drank in college, and so I'd I'd, I'd be the designated driver and take all my friends home. I would be the lookout when they were cheating on their girlfriends. I I was actually, I felt morally superior to all the people I knew who went to church. It was a bad situation. I I didn't know what to do with it. Well... I get into the business world, and I actually found the business world easier than I found college. Uh, you know, if you can if you can make it on time, have a decent dimple in your tie, and do what you're told to do, you can actually advance pretty well. And so I started to do pretty well. But every promotion was never satisfying. I always thought, well, if I become an officer, then I'll really feel that satisfaction. No, if I become a vice president, then I'll really feel that satisfaction. If I become a senior vice president, then I'll... Re- and every time you get this promotion, it's it's a nice thing, but it never satisfies you. You always think, oh, where it's really at is if I become an executive vice president or whatever. So I was in the banking field in New York City, and I had uh, many of the best accounts in our company. And I met a girl. And now, listen, I bought into the American dream that when you meet the girl, then everything is going to be all right. And let me tell you, the girl I met—you can meet her after this worship. She is pretty. She is funny. She is fun. She looks great in a dress, and I'll tell you this. She can turn a double play or throw you out from catcher, and she's 47 years old, okay? She can throw you out. It was fun to be around Gwen. And here's the deal. When you ask your wife or you ask your spouse to be your God, implicitly, of course, all you do is hurt them. Most of us were made in such a way that we could be great spouses, but when we're asked to be somebody's God, we're going to fail. And that's unkind to them. And so I'm sitting and laying in bed in New York City. I have the, I'm, I'm a, a pretty successful banker. I have an Upper East Side apartment. I have a beautiful wife. And I'm bawling in the middle of the night saying, really, this is all there is? We got transferred to Atlanta and uh, I got a promotion. And, and Gwen says to me, I want our kids. We were wanting, wanted to have a family. I want our kids to grow up in the church. And in my arrogance, I said this, that would be good for them. When we went to church, the preacher wasn't, telling moral, wasn't giving moral attributes for us to follow. He was telling a story. And let me tell you something. He told a story that changed me forever. He told the story of a God who created the world good. Now, you know, I had known this world was good. I'd heard this left-behind stuff and people talking about the world burning up and how it wants to go away. But I thought, you know, there's a lot of good things about this world. And I, I can't believe that God wouldn't create the world good. And so I thought, boy, that has credibility with me. It was created good. And he said, and he put the human person in this garden, and he asked the human person, and he, he, gave, he, he gave them his image, and he asked them to multiply this garden and to extend this garden to the ends of the earth, that they were to be the shepherds and the stewards of this earth. And I thought, yes, I do know that. I, there's something down deep inside me that knows that I'm supposed to care, that I've been, giving something, I've been given a great gift, that there is something that's great about me. But then he said this, something had gone horribly wrong. And you know what? That was what I needed to hear. Something had gone horribly wrong. That, that actually, in the garden, the first human persons had rebelled against God. It wasn't that they were murderers and adulterers and all that sort of, they had rebelled against God's goodness. They had rebelled against what God had given them. They had rebelled against the mission that God had given them. And you know what I said? Yes, that's me. That's me. Finally, I can identify what this thing is. And this preacher, 35-year-old guy in a, in a, in a tie, and, and he had credibility to me because I was a businessman, he said, he said, and you know what? God made a promise that, this, that he's going to renew this place, that there is a redeemer, that there is a restorer, and his name is Jesus. Well, I thought to myself, if that's true, that, that changes everything. So I thought, I, I better find out if this is true, because really, how everybody treats Jesus is some sort of guru, or some sort of, you know, magic man, but if he's the redeemer of all things, then that changes everything, that changes, I, I, didn't, I don't have a category, so I started to think, look into it, and sure enough, as I look into it, the more and more that Jesus is actually a historical figure. That Jesus actually lived. We saw it here when we were singing. I don't know if you know. I, I'm pretty sure that was the Sea of Galilee with the Golan Heights behind it. But Jesus actually lived on this place. And Jesus actually died in this place. And you know what he did? Is he defeated the power of sin and death when he rose again from the dead. And you know what? I was undone by that. Absolutely undone by that. It's not just a fig, It's not just a story. It's a true story. My understanding of what the hope of the Christian faith was more informed by Looney Tunes than it was by anything else. Did you watch Looney Tunes when you were growing up? Whenever somebody dies or whenever somebody gets hit in the head, they get harps and and, and they're on on wings and and they're they're in the clouds and all that kind of stuff. And I thought, gosh, that's just not that appealing to me, right? That's just not that appealing to me. Well, you know what? I was in a church that actually had teaching, (laughs) He said, well, good, I'm glad that's not appealing to you because, you know what, God is here to restore all things, that the story ends this way, that heaven and earth are one, that God's space becomes our space, that material matters, and that Revelation 5 is actually true, that Isaiah 66 is actually true, that Revelation, or Isaiah 35 is actually true, that the, that the, that the deserts are going to spring forth in flowers when God makes this his home permanently. i got to tell you, I can't get over that. And so here I am. I, I'm, I'm 30, 30 years old. I'm a banker. And, and I just start to say, okay, where's, where do I fit in the story? Because there is a story, right? There's an ending to the story. There's a bit of beginning to the story. And I'm actually finding myself in the middle of the story. And so I learned that holiness is not some new performance mandate for me. Hol- all holiness is, is practicing the way we're going to be for eternity. Well, that sort of starts to make sense. And I begin to learn. I begin to grasp these things. And I, begin, I, I think I became a different husband. I know I became a different banker. And I certainly became a different brother and friend. It wasn't about me anymore. I can't tell you the joy of the chains falling off of, in my performance prison. I can't tell you... How grateful I am to know that I can walk out of here, and if you guys think I'm 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 ugly or boring, that you know make that make me sad. But you know what? It doesn't matter all that much. Your approval of me is not my identity. My identity is solid, and in a a God who loves me, and by grace has given His life for me. And so I can walk differently, and confidently, and humbly, and joyfully in serving. And so over the, over the course of the next several years, God helped change me as a banker. I began to, I made it about servant. God says I came to serve and not be served, so I thought, well, maybe I ought to serve. And it changed everything in the way people approached me. It changed everything in the way I, I was actually more successful than less successful as a servant. I tried to eliminate obstacles. I tried to enhance people's ability, and I thought, and, and things changed at work. And as I've got going, I'm going to have to wrap up. I'm sorry I took so long here, Jeff. But
0: I never go long, so don't worry.
1: <laughs> when we had boys, I, I, wanted, I want two things for my boys. I have three boys. They're in high school at Drake. You can pray for them. I want them to know and love Jesus, and I want them to do what they want to do for the glory of God. And I thought, you know what? And lots of people were telling me, you're a pastor as much as you are a banker. Why don't you just do that? And so I did. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to go to a place, when I was done with seminary, I wanted to go to a place where the gospel isn't. Where people have rejected it. Where people say no. Where people are, are enmeshed in the same idolatries as I am. Of accomplishments and performance and they're sad. And you know what? We're in a place like that. And we are people like that. And so I wanted to teach people this story. And I want to help them to appropriate this gospel. I want them to see a God of grace and a God of mercy. And so we began a church in order to do that. And that's all what we're trying to do. And we want to encourage everybody to live free. Because you know what? You, you are free from your idols. Mm. You're free. Amen. Live like it. Right. You can walk today in the freedom of being a child of God. And you know what? You can say, well, I need stuff. Well, you're a co-heir with Christ. It's really just a timing difference until you get, all the, get, get, it, get it all. So just be patient. You're an ambassador for the king, right? Every, every morning when you get up, you are an ambassador for the king. You're an ambassador to your husband. You're an ambassador to your wife. You're an ambassador to your children. You're an ambassador to your classmates. You're an ambassador to your teacher. You represent the king. live like it's true. It's a true story. I'm out of time. Thanks for having me. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you're a God of grace and a God of mercy and that you don't look down the corridor of history and see that I'm going to be a good boy. (laughs) While I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me. And Lord, I pray that each of us, because we're all constantly going back to our idols. I pray that each of us would repent right now and many times today and to lean into this grace and this mercy and to find out what it means to be an actor in this story. We praise you for your kindness and we ask that you would grant your spirit, that you'd pour out your spirit to empower us to be your ambassadors and we ask that you'd come and be with us. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
0: Why don't you stand with us? Let me give you this blessing. and Stand with me, Rod, here. You get a glimpse of what I see, what I hear from him, and many of you, and many more all throughout the county, that God has put a call on our lives to live out the story that he has made true. And confirmed its truth and said, Now go be salt and light, that all those people will know that it's true. It's great news. We gotta live like it's great news. Go, friends, and here's your blessing receive this. Go be ambassadors, salty, preserving that there's truth that sets us free. Go be light, friends shining the knowledge of a God who is real and present and saving so that people will want to know your God. He has rescued you. Praise God. He has rescued Rod. Praise God. He has rescued me. Praise God. And now let's go live like that's true that the world would know it as well.